This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Thank you, Eric Harthen, voice talent extraordinaire. Hey, before I even get started, I want to say uh, Godspeed to those in North Carolina, South Carolina, facing hurricane flow coming in. Uh, It's going to be a big one. At the time of this broadcast, it has not occurred yet, but hopefully it's not super horrible. Um, It's climate change reminding us what's up, right? And you say, oh, Jeff, that's political. Don't get political in the middle of people's tragedy. It's not really um, you know, it was. It's always been said that there, there was a, a consensus on man-made climate change, but one thing there is an absolute consensus on consensus is that climate change exists. Really, the debate, if you're talking politics, is whether it is you know, mostly by man-made or partially man-made or very little man-made or wherever you sit in the middle of that. But uh, regardless, I'm so glad to see folks doing something about it. And uh, I said, well, what are you, they're not doing anything about it. They're just letting it happen. And the oil industry is getting worse. And no, no, no. Actually, uh, from a global standpoint, even though we jumped out of the Paris Accord, every other nation and even every other corporation in America is continuing forward. They know the urgency. They know the importance to reduce carbon. But what's really cool, I watched a TED Talk and discovered something about uh, that some scientists who figured out a really big one. There's been a lot of desertization, which obviously exaggerates the uh, carbon and the heat in the in the atmosphere. And they did a lot of studying and made a lot of mistakes and really goofed it up over the decades. And then in the last five or so years, they discovered it was really quite simple and it was the only way that worked. And that is, and we're talking about the areas that are semi-arid. You know, it's not like a full desert and not like a tropical place, but those places that get a seasonal rainfall that dumps a bunch and then, you know, animals live off of that and then it dries up and, and rinse repeat. Well, one of the things they discovered was that they thought, you know, it was overgrazed by livestock, wildebeest, whatever. And it wasn't, and, and that's true. There was an overgrazing. That wasn't good to keep them all in one spot. And then they tried burning the grass. That made it worse. It not only, not just the smoke, but actually the, the removal of the stuff didn't help. They tried the not letting the grasses get grazed, let to grow. And that even caused even more carbon, oddly enough. And there's a whole, again, TED Talk on how to, the, the warmth of the, of the air, the way the carbon was released from the soil. And then these scientists kept trying and trying until they figured it out. That it, it was like the man-made, God-made solution, which is rotation of livestock. Let the livestock come in after the rainy season. All the grasses are in. Come through. Eat, a, eat it all. Or not all of it, but eat a good portion of it, as usual. Uh, pee and poop everywhere. Big component, apparently. And that creates a certain amount of decay and a certain amount of activity and a certain amount of um, uh, you know restoration for the next year. And that, and it was amazing. I'm watching this TED Talk, and they're showing videos and pictures of desert areas before and then one season where the rains came in and this time they ran livestock through in a, in a, in a, in a, a certain paced way, which they figured out. And they're teaching uh, not only uh, farmers in foreign and domestic, but also very much in, in places that are underdeveloped. They've been for the last number of years working with underdeveloped countries to get these grazing habits in place. You know, spending the money and bringing in advisors and such, and, and then bringing resources so, they, so that people who can't afford it can rotate their livestock or be supplied with livestock. Long story short, I'm seeing these pictures of areas that were desert, and then you're like, here's the before, here's the after. A year later, boom, green. Uh, everything just grows back in. 
and they're doing it massively and it's still in its infancy in the sense that there's they we're talking about a long, long stretches of land a, a third of the land this could be uh but now they figured it out and they've been working it and that's what i'm talking about in addition to all the green energy and our, our reducing our dependence on 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 carbon-based fuels it which is also going to help i i this is where I digress from my lefty friends who say this is at crisis levels will never get back. It's over. The planet's going to die. And it's like, no, 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 we're smarter than that. We're really clever. And we're starting to evidence that. I remember reading a story about and seeing these pictures of, uh, of in, in, in Canada, they made uh, air filters where they literally these long, huge, giant behemoth rows of, of, of screens that that took the carbon dioxide out and some were algae-based. There was another place that was like algae-based and was pulling the stuff out. Other ones were just filtration. And so, I mean, that seems like obviously it's a lot of air to, to filter, but we're doing it and I believe we will do it. I've always been very confident in uh, humanity's ability to uh, come together and figure it out. And we are. Uh, that's a very big digression from hurricanes in North and South Carolina uh, because that reality requires another level of community and commitment from our fellow man. But again, this will be one of those moments, and maybe it already is by the time that you're, you're listening to this. As the uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers quotes goes, uh, when things are looking terrible, look for the helpers. This was mom used to tell him. And I'm sure there are those now and or will be, depending upon when you're hearing this, uh, that will step up again. Uh, I can't count on what the president will say. I'm sure he'll say some nice words that he was scripted and then probably go off script and talk about uh, his problems with the Russia investigation. I don't know. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's another story, and that's for him to figure out. Uh, but hopefully he stays on task and is able to uh, offer some soothing words to these folks that I'm sure are having a really hard time. So coming up on Possibility Politics, uh, we're just going to jump into the headlines. I'm going to do a kind of a lightning round. I'm going to look at the front page of the Huffington Post and the front page of Fox News. And then we're going to grab each one, left or right, so to speak, and look at the victimhood and look at when the uh, article or perspective is focusing on what is wanted and improvement and growth and evolution, or if it's focusing on how to get you to be pissed off, because we like being pissed off. All right. <laughs> it's going to be a fun show. Please stay tuned. This is the place where we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found. Hang on. This is Possibility Politics, the place we feelize our way to a saner future. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for checking it out. Got to do kind of a lightning round thing. Um, look at some headlines and, and see if we can parse through. Because that's what we do here on Possibility Politics is, is not just try to figure out who's right, who's wrong. But instead, figure out which way is are you headed with the tack you're taking? Are you headed towards evolution or devolution? You know, are you headed towards love or fear, inspiration or desperation, uh, kindness or rightness? You know, uh, faith or victimhood? Because again, as I've said before in this show, it's not about the intensity of the lessons that are being experienced in a high tragedy circumstance, high contrast circumstance, it is whether or not the lesson is being learned. Are there more than not recognizing which way to point? You know, I've said this expression before, when something becomes painfully obvious, that means that you've had enough pain and you know what to do. 
And oftentimes, that is what is required for social movements to continue. And this being the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind, and it is because you say, well, Josh, there's so much turmoil. Well, the turmoil, that is always, every renaissance is born of that kind of turmoil and troubles and diver- and uh, division in amongst electorates or religions or uh, territories. And now, because we no longer live in a world where things are territorial, you know, this isn't World War II where I'm going to push you back across the border. I'm going to come fly across the border and get you. Wars, conflicts, they are idealism-based. They're idea-based. We are the current renaissance is based on our ability to recognize as a people that we are one globe, one community, and we rise and fall together. And it's going to be based on whether, again, which way we're pointed. Are we pointed towards more community, more togetherness, more decency? Or are we pointed towards uh, finding a way to hate each other uh, from within? But the thing is, it's within us now. You know, it's not like you could just see, even with America and our little America and our little civil war between, quote unquote, Republicans and Democrats or whatever you want to say it's between. Um, you can't, you know, grab a city and say, yep, that's where the, you know, the base is going to be. That's where we're going to put the, that, that part of the civil war. It's within. It's amongst us. And so it has to be learned, and and it is being learned, and it's beautiful. So in terms of breaking down the headlines, in whether it's heading towards what you want or what you don't want, I'll give you just an example, a left and a a right example, all right? Uh, Because this is the case of, of, of doing the opposite of what you're trying to achieve to stop them from stopping your intended achievement by stopping the insanity. (laughs) What? It's like being, are you pro-peace or anti-war, right? Uh, Take, for instance, like PETA. And I'm not point figures. I'm not saying PETA's all bad, so don't get it bent out of shape. But but for some folks, uh, what would be the bad reputation is when they go to, you know, a fur fashion show and they pour bloods to, you know, uh, fake blood, whatever, hopefully fake blood. If it's real blood, that's an extra level of hypocrisy. Uh, They pour, you know, take blood and pour it all over, uh, you know, the hands of those who have blood on their hands. Because the point is, is to stress that we've got too much blood on our hands. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pour blood on your hands. So that's an example of, of you think you're doing something in, in support of something, but you're actually adding to the circumstance. Because if you put blood on your hands to stop blood on your hands, you just have more blood on your hands. Whereas if you do what you actually say you're doing in the title of PETA, which is People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and you promote and support the love and great care of animals, then of course you'll win every time. Spilling blood? Eh, just adding to blood. Uh, Adding love? Adds to love, right? It would be the same on the, uh, say, amongst Trump supporters, when you are yelling at how much more corrupt Hillary is than Trump, you know, saying, well, you know, Trump is bad. Hillary's worse. Hillary's more corrupt. Then that is a prayer for more corruption. Because if you're focused on how much corruption there is and saying and spending all your victimhood attacking Hillary for being the most corrupt and stop looking at my guy, that's the most corrupt. You're still adding to the energy and the consciousness and the prayer for more corruption. So to that end, let's look at the headlines on each of, uh, we'll pick a left site and a right site. We'll pick Fox News and uh, .com and HuffingtonPost.com and just look and see if, see which way they're pointed, you know, because this is how you want to look at the news. You want to look at your life. You want to see if there's a lesson being learned and which way and which way it's going on, right? So uh, obviously the top headline is the hurricane. Hurricane Florence, probably going to cost a lot of money, it says on Huffington Post. This storm is a monster on Fox News. Hurricane Florence charges towards East Coast as officials warn of devastating effects to U.S. 
And that's fine. That is what it is. You know, when you're reporting something, it's not that you don't report anything negative. Like we're not going to only report positive news. But the idea is, is if you report something negative and you're doing it because you want to alert someone's attention to it, uh, because it's new, it has not yet been, or it's an urgent situation that requires attention. That's one thing. When I say negative and unhealthy negative, it's when you have established some sort of thing you're against, and then it's not new. You just keep hitting that same button over and over again. I'm pissed at this. I'm mad at this. I am revengey at this. I'm blaming this. It's bad, 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 bad. And instead of pivoting towards your solution once you've identified the problem. But first, we have to identify the problem. And the hurricane is a problem. We're identifying it and preparing the, the popula- popula- uh, population for it. And that is responsible. That is not uh, avoiding scary news or something. Okay. So we look at, uh, let's see, what else on uh, Fox News? We've got uh, Google Message reveals effort to boost Latino vote, vote surprise over Trump voters. So here's obviously a story about that Google must be in some dark conspiracy uh, boosting Latino vote because they want to push it for Democrats. Now, if that is a true scandal, and here's again, the four against, if that was a, an actual thing that just occurred, yes, this should be exposed. People should know if Google has a outright bias. Now, <laughs> I've, you know, you read the story and you discover that it is mostly just conjecture and it's hype, it's theory, and it's t- based on, on, you know, on partial testimony from, from people who, from, from single sources. So it's not anything that, that, uh, that normal journalism would verify and recognize as an ongoing scandal. You know, this isn't 60 Minutes exposing a, a, a thing in Google. It's an anecdotal circumstance that riles up the base and makes them angry. So this is the, for the purpose of making you angry. If you're a Fox News viewer, you want to see that you are a victim to corporations rigging it for the Democrats. And if that makes you feel better, great. But you might want to consider a little further and find a piece with that. So what's the real piece? The real piece to that, the pivot to what you want, is to say, you know what? It doesn't matter how much they boost the Latino vote. They can't pay people to vote, and they can't actually pick up uh, these folks and bring them to the polls. So it's still a race between the ideology of conservatives and Republicans versus uh, the ideology of Democrats. And so it just doesn't change the ability for a Republican and a well-intended Republican or conservative to support Trump, support the party, whatever it is you're supporting, and say, well, let's just, uh, this is another reason to keep educating uh, our voters and our base to come out and try to change minds uh, amongst and Latinos. And maybe that's, if if you're arguing that Latinos automatically vote for Democrats, then that's something you want to address too. What do you really want? You probably want to be able to connect with this group of voters, and uh, like George W. Bush did, George W. Bush was the the presidential, the Republican presidential candidate who got the highest percentage of Latino vote of any Republican president. Ask him how he did it. Ask how he connected. Now, of course, he had a relatively progressive stance on on immigration, and he pushed hard in his party. It's one of the things that George W. Bush stood up for with with a great deal of even spent some political capital trying to reform the uh, immigration system. And reform in this case meant uh, a path to citizenship, welcoming those in who come in legally, not stopping them at the border uh, and arresting them, even though they entered in the legal entry point and taking their children away and sending them back home. Obviously, that is not going to work unless you your primary and sole purpose is the existence of, of the white, quote unquote, white, whatever that means, the white race. 
Uh, because if that's your goal, if you think that there's just too many brown people or non-whites in this country, then you would do something like that. Literally just arresting the, the ones at the, from the border that you don't like, uh, getting rid of their kids to uh, as, a, as a deterrent so that no no more will come. You would do anything measure if you thought it was some sort of that, that those people of color entering your nation was was some sort of cancer. But if you believe in legal immigration, as George W. Bush did, then you would uh, proceed accordingly. You would say, well, if we're having trouble with folks kind of jumping over the border, uh, let's make the legal entry points process better. Let's figure out uh, what's their situation. And then even more importantly, something that Republicans used to do, my family of Eisenhower Republicans would certainly point this out, the Republicans used to be about helping other nations uh, and creating opportunities there so that places like Guatemala and Honduras, I think it's Guatemala in particular, is the one that's been, quote unquote, having the most people come from there to here because of the desperation of their system, of their situation in their country. And so if you can make their country better, if you can help them make that country great as well as our own, I'm not saying just dump a bunch of billions of dollars down there. But find out, send somebody, send some ambassadors and say what would be, you know, and in some cases, it's very simple. You know, one of the great initiatives in, a, in, a, in a, I can't remember which country it was Africa, I think it was Kenya, but I don't know, where they simply started building roads to places that had, did not have roads. And it so dramatically impacted the economy uh, and that it, 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 there, this exodus of folks who were in refugees that were leaving there were able to stay because they could get materials and supplies so that they could have for their livestock and their, and their towns and their villages and whatever. Um, and so there are places, there are ways to do that. I digress quite a bit. But you see, it takes more effort to find what you want. You can just look at the title, Google message reveals effort to boost Latino vote, surprise over Trump voters, and just be pissed at that if you want to. Or you can reach deeper to your higher angels and find a solution, right? Let's take the Huffington Post side. Here's a, Let's see, let's grab a story. The whitewashing of Naomi Osaka. Now, if you're following this story... She is the young lady who, for the first time, won a U.S. Open Grand Slam tennis tournament against Serena Williams in a very controversial um, call where she was penalized a game and then lost the match. And by the way, if you say just one game, what does that, what does that mean? If you don't follow tennis and you don't know, when you get to the finals of a match uh, of, a, of, a, of a tournament, in almost any case, the, the people that are reached the finals are so good and so evenly matched that... Uh, that's what they refer to the term breaking serve, break service, service break, is that because generally speaking, if you're serving, you win that game. If the other person is serving, you win that, they win that game. And it goes back and forth until somebody breaks serve, until somebody loses a game that they are serving. Otherwise, it kind of gets tie-ish. And that's why it can be 6-4, 6-5, you know, to the whole thing. So to, <coughs> excuse me, in a very, very close situation like that, to award one player or another a free game can easily tip the balance if it's close. Now, it only went two sets. Uh, Venus, uh, Serena Williams, Venus, Serena Williams probably should have dominated more and maybe she would have lost anyway. Not the point. Um, you can look up the story of how that worked. It became a Me Too moment because now people kind of parsed through this judge's reaction as well as other uh, judges of tennis's reaction and found that males are not nearly as penalized for uh, breaking their equipment, uh, outbursts, calling judges names. They rarely ever get penalized, whereas uh, Serena Williams did, and they think it's because she's a woman. Certainly, again, you've got some evidence, I don't, and, you, and you can say that's what it is. Um, so, and that, so here we go. And then now it comes to this title of the whitewashing of Naomi Osaka, because meanwhile, uh, the point was, is there was this emphasis that in this, in this very uh, controversial cartoon that showed uh, Serena looking very 
um, you know, imposing an African, if you will, that's the argument. It looks very uh, racist to a lot of people. They thought it was racist, this picture, this, this political cartoon that showed her being uh, throwing a quote unquote meltdown. Uh, and then it showed in that same thing, they made Naomi Osaka seem like a skinny little white blonde girl instead of a half Japanese, half white of some kind. I'm not sure what the particular, I apologize for not knowing what her other side is other than Japanese. And this is on one of the headlines of Huffington Post. Now, I would say, I would submit to you, this is a good focus on what you don't want. I know you're saying to yourself, well, we're trying to draw attention to inequities with uh, gender, and we're trying to draw attention to uh, inequality with race. Yes. Great. You know what? There's already a lot of attention on that. So how about posturing it in a way... That And it's a simple headline shift, right? Instead of the whitewashing of Naomi Osaka, like, oh my gosh, we're going to make her more white and Serena more black, and it's just this thing. Um, why not say that uh, Naomi's diversity of heritage is a, a highlight of, of her story, right? If you want to promote the value of diversity, and in, in this case, biraciality, as well as just all races being embraced and valued and known and for their uniqueness and their contribution, then say that. Then say, what a powerful uh, tennis match this was. It was a Japanese, half Japanese, half white. white. Gosh, I'm sorry for not knowing whether Australian. Um, and half and, and an African-American woman who uh, were in the finals. It's not just a whitewashed thing anymore. It is a beautiful statement of diversity and proves that if you... Uh, and again, you know what's fascinating is just before this uh, controversy occurred with Serena Williams, if you had been watching this, if you're a sporto <laughs> and you were watching ESPN and ABC Sports or whatever in the, in the lead up to this, there was a lot of chatter going into this final like, because there was an expectation she might win. And uh, and by the way, interesting footnote, there's a lot of pressure. There was this uh, on the Internet and Twitter was talking about a lot of pressure for her to win because she's just had a child now. And there's this thing of to prove 36-year-old Serena Williams can still play after having a child. People really rooting for her to have a win. Uh, my good friend uh, Julie mentioned it's kind of like what I say about, about Tiger Woods, where everyone in golf is really w- wanting to see him win a championship because he hasn't won one since the uh, controversy over his adultery, which is fascinating because that was not a Me Too moment. He didn't sleep with any extramarital affairs that weren't thoroughly willing. There was no abuse. There was no groping. There was no unwanted advances. He was just, um, you know, having a, a, a extramarital affairs, which obviously you can judge for yourself the morality or immorality of that. So uh, Serena Williams comes into this and the lead up in the chatter in sports was that she needs to be crowned the single greatest athlete ever in America. And they're doing this because they're saying, look at her rate, her, 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 um, her uh, statistics. Look how many things she's won. She's won it all many times more than any male, you know, has in pretty much any other sport. And so there was this great debate is, should we crown Serena the greatest ever, ever, ever? And of course, obviously, if she had won, then they would have just said that. And that would have been the narrative. They were prepping that narrative. They probably had all kinds of video packages ready to go. <laughs> right. And instead, it became about race and gender. And that's good in the sense that we all need to draw our attention to what's going on in this in this in this world in this system, right? It's super important. All right, so there's a couple examples of what we're talking about is to be able to digest a story, look through it, and think about it in terms of is this focused on what I want or what I don't want? 
When we come back, I'm going to hit a couple more sites and just look at their headlines and digest it. Um, we'll start with, we'll do The Nation from the left and Breitbart.com from the right and see what we've got. We've got some stuff about 9-11. We've got some stuff about Colin Kaepernick. It'll be fun to look through that and see what's helpful to us and what is just digging up our anger and revenge. And remember, when you go on a path of revenge, you must first dig two graves. This is the place where we provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, the independent state of mind where we look at this gorgeous country in all its complicated glory and love her just exactly the way she is. I'm Jeff Stein. We're doing a little quick on the news dissection of whether what we're consuming on our favorite news sites is helping or hurting our own soul's intention of what we're trying to achieve, right? Because really, don't you want to be in line and in sync and in, in, in you know, with who, what, with who you are and, and what you want rather than just being in a continuous blame and revenge loop? And by the way, you know, from a consciousness standpoint, I assume you know this, but you might want to think about this. The only reason you go to blame or revenge or anger or rage, those are relief emotions from something below. It means that you are dwelling in shame or guilt or, or rejection or um, attack, trapped, terrorized, something down there. You know, because right, because if you had to choose between being shamed and blame, which feels better, right? Blame feels way better <laughs> than shame or rejection or being trapped or being taken advantage of. And so if you can spend your life bouncing between those cycles, being, being unconsciously frustrated with being taken advantage of and manipulated and, oh my gosh, those Democrats, those Republicans, they're ruining my life. Those people over there, they're ruining my life. And then going, going into rage and revenge uh, as relief to that. Or... You can figure out what you actually want and do and be so focused on it and so in your knowing and so in your truth. This is why I love being in this era and I love the news no matter how chaotic it gets because when I see a story, as I'm about to illustrate, I immediately identify, well, where's it going? What's the lesson? What's happening here? What are these folks that are reading this trying to do and what will really occur? Because you can sit there and say, well, I, I knew, I'm, you can be all pissed off about Colin Kaepernick or you can be all pissed off about how Donald Trump handled 9-11. Or uh, you can laugh at it and go, well, <laughs> yeah, there he goes again. And then point your attention to what matters to you and what you believe in. Right. So let's see. We look at The Nation, uh, which is, a, you know, arguably a left uh, leaning publication. Say, friends, here we got one. Are we on the brink of another financial crisis? Four steps we need to take to prevent another economic crash. Okay, so this is a, a mixture of alarm, like we talked about, a sounding a little alarm, saying, "Hey, you might want to pay attention to this." And and then there's some little bit of little bit of victimhood, a little bit of blame, but essentially it's an attempt. Uh, good job, Christian Meta, to uh, try to offer solutions, prepare, you know, turn the corners. Like, here's a problem, but here's a solution. Here's your way out, which is a nice. You want to give the way out, right? You want it preferably. <laughs> and um, here's another one. The Supreme Court is an anti-democratic hot mess, and we should change that. If the Senate won't do its constitutional duty, that duty should be taken away from it. Okay, so it's angry, right? It's obviously a little revengey. We don't like the result. We don't like what's happening. Uh, but it's also got a tinge of empowering. I'll give them credit for that and saying, hey, here's how we can, uh, you know, reestablish some control. Because, you know, we're in a weird time in this mass information era 
where because of all this, as we've seen with the Russian attack, with the way that, you know, uh, powerful interests spend for access to airwaves or social media, that we've noticed that the electorate is more susceptible to mass misinformation from these misleaders, so to speak. But remember, this is where this consciousness come in. This is where the awareness and the mindfulness comes in. In order for the electorate to be more susceptible to mass misinformation from all these folks, then it, that cannot be true unless the electorate is equally connected and receptive to mass mobilization because that same vehicle, which can be used to spoil the food chain, so to speak, proves that there's a food chain and it proves that there is a mass information system that can be used more powerfully for good. People always do for something more than they're against. That's why they voted for Obama. People that voted for Trump also voted for Obama. And it's also why people that voted for Trump voted for Obama because they were they believe that Trump, they believe the Mark Burnett portrayal of Trump, which if you've seen the show, fascinating little story, by the way, a little side note. They did a study where they looked at Trump supporters who are still Trump supporters now, and they asked them about their if they watched The Apprentice. And almost every one of them, everyone that they surveyed watched Apprentice for at least three years, I believe is what the survey was saying. And Mark Burnett, through editing and through scripting and through what every reality show does, you should know this. I assume you know this. Reality shows are highly narrative constructed, and they will have the talent do retakes, redos, say things, or even just oftentimes outright use a loose script or an improv script uh, bullet points to get a narrative out. Well, they did that with Donald Trump. There was a deliberate effort to make him seem like a guy who collected all kinds of opinions and cogently and deeply and thoughtfully analyzed the circumstances with a level of genius and acumen that that rare that few people had, the kind of brilliance that made him a billionaire. And this billionaire was able to always know exactly who to fire and who to keep and who to elevate and who to send back to the drawing board, right? Not the boardroom. <laughs> and so and people that bought that, that's called a parasocial behavior, a parasocial attachment. They got in love with this guy and said, this guy is awesome. And so when he came out and said, I'm going to fix your health care. I'm going to fix these trade agreements. I'm going to fix your wages. They went, I watched the show. He's really awesome at that stuff. He's going to he's gonna kill it. He's going to be awesome. And of course, they find out. It'd be kind of like, you know, uh, taking Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones. And when, Har- and when Harrison Ford's run for president, you say, oh, well, we're going to have Indiana Jones as president. It's going to be awesome. The guy's just going to throw his whip at, at that Senate and take care of everything. Obviously, that's not a, much uh, as direct a comparison as somebody who's a quote unquote business genius. But you get the point. But if Harrison Ford got in there, you'd be like, dude, you know nothing about presidenting. <laughs> you don't even know your constitution that well. He probably doesn't. Maybe he does a little bit. He would have to learn a lot. He's not a professional law and policymaker. You want people that are awesome to you want you wouldn't take somebody off the street that you just saw throw a couple basketballs and say, hey, put you in the NBA. You, you and LeBron can go to the middle. And it's like, no, you want somebody who's got lots of experience, and who's good at it, who's proven and tested and had some, you know, <laughs> have some backing and, and has formed a coalition of support, all this sort of thing. OK, right. Uh Let's see. Let's look at Breitbart real fast. The uh, headline there is Bernard Carrick, you know, one of these. Uh, he was a former uh, the guy who was he, he's a great right wing um, uh, pundit. He was uh, help me in New York City with uh, the police department. He was one of the, the guys. Right. He was the uh, New York City's police commissioner. Sorry, I couldn't think of the term Bernard Carrick. Anyway, he's this article says Bernard Carrick, Colin Kaepernick, a quote thug and quote disgusting for promoting cop killers. So what's the point of this rage? Sorry, this is rage and revenge. This is 
I am so sick of my opponents. And now on the left, they're going to say this is totally racist because he's black. For some, it's racism. For some, it's just tribalism, and it's just anti-democratism. They believe that Democrats and liberals are a, a pr- clear and present threat. They've been told that since Rush Limbaugh screamed it at them in the 1980s. There's been a constant and unending uh, you know, chorus of right-wing bubble noise that says all of your problems are liberal. And you know, if you believe that, and if some of you are listening right now saying they are, that's what the problem is. Okay, well, if you believe that, what's your solution? What's your solution? Is it an article that elevates and draws attention to um, the martyrdom of of Colin Kaepernick and says, wow, look, he's pissing me off. He's the problem. Or is your solution in promoting and explaining and selling conservative values? Right? If you believe in family values, uh, then promote uh, monogamous marriages and tell people why it's great. You know, right? And more importantly, even specifically with Kaepernick, if you believe in the flag and the flag is a representation of of devotion to military service, then tell people about your military service. Keep promoting that. Let people know that, you know what, this guy, this guy over here kneeling down, he doesn't get it. Military service is important. Now, of course, the guy kneeling down says, hey, this is nothing about military service. This is about black folks, unarmed black folks being killed and with no justice. And, and you know, that's another debate, right? You want to support that or not support that, that's your choice. But if you believe in the flag as something that makes you feel proud of your nation, feel the pride. Let the let the people who, who are using it for some other statement to fade away. But the more you give attention to them, the more Donald Trump tweets about it, he thinks it's going to rile up his base, and it does. It makes him angry, and they're going to vote, but they were going to vote for you know them anyway. You need a bigger tent. You need to convince, you look at the polls, if you're looking at the polls right now and you're a Republican, uh, you're looking at a wave that, you're, you're looking at state houses, it's true, now that we're in the season, the polls just every day, there's new polls of, of, of not only congressional races, but state races, that where it's just getting bluer and bluer and bluer. Because the more it is, a, it is promoted as what you're against, as I said before, it's the same reason. The reason John Kerry lost to George W. Bush is because the right was for George W. Bush and the left was against George W. Bush. They weren't really that for John Kerry. Same thing with Hillary. There wasn't enough that were for Hillary. They were against Donald Trump. Well, whatever you're against, whatever you put your attention to inflates. So the, the against George W. Bush was a vote for Bush. The for George W. Bush was a vote for George W. Bush. Same thing. A vote against Kaepernick makes people re-examine his cause. It makes people wonder why you're so pissed off and why should they follow you? What's the sales pitch? What do I get? I just get anger? If I join you in your Kaepernick bashing, do I just get anger? Or do I get more uh, attention to service, including military service? Oh, so what should the headline be? It should be Bernard Carrick says, military service is the real lesson here. Ignore Kaepernick. Military service is what we want to talk about. There you go. That's your positive punchline or positive headline. Try that instead. So thank you for listening. I hope you find this fascinating. I hope it gives you a little bit of food for thought. This is a situation you should enjoy. This really is a beautiful unfolding. The lesson is being learned. There are vastly more folks that are pivoting and turning towards what they want instead of what they don't want. Yes, there are some who are going to fight, fight, fight to the end. But polling and the electorate are demonstrating the number of a massive number of voter registrations that have occurred lately are demonstrating that people 
are for something a change. It's not a change that actually Trump agreed with. Again, health care, better wages, better jobs, uh, more equality, less rich people, less swamp. Unfortunately, he did the opposite, generally speaking, but that message was the point, and it is shared, and now a wave of candidates has been making it through the primaries and have been recruited doing exactly that doing exactly what Trump promised, but actually giving specifics and numbers and staying behind it and repeating it over and over again instead of just saying it over and over again in a campaign rally as some sort of punchline because you saw that it made people smile. Instead, rolling up their sleeves as that annoying expression goes and figuring out real policy and having debates about how that is going to occur and having pushback saying you can't do that. And they're saying, no, well, let's find a way because they're for something. I've never seen an electorate more for something uh, in maybe my lifetime. Uh, So it is exciting. It is thrilling. Please enjoy it. And thank you for enjoying this, assuming you did. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 